James begins chapter 3. with a reminder. And before I get too far along, thank, thank you, David, for taking care of chapter two last week. I appreciate that very much. And um, I got such a good report again this morning of how last week went. I'm a little concerned about leaving uh, another time, but uh, 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 go Go ahead, Lord, forgive me for being such a letdown today to many, you know, but uh, James begins this morning with a, so an admonition. Uh, you could say it's a warning. He says, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers. He says, because you know we who teach will be judged more strictly. Jesus and James both said, if you're going to act with accountability, and that's what our, the point of going through here and studying the law of action this morning, God always wants us to act, but act understanding we're accountable to him. And so God says, and it's just very plain, not everybody should try to be a teacher because the last thing we need in the world is just somebody who wants to tell us what they think. I can remember um, it was a rough week for me. I, at the end of this week, I had, uh, by the time I got to it, I had uh, shingles. And, and it started with going on vacation. I'm not very good at going on vacation. And when I finally get there, this one year, about three years ago, as soon as I'd driven all the way from Richmond down to the beach, I got a call from my sisters. Norm, we need you to come home from vacation because we're going to have a surprise birthday party for Mama. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me this before I left? And it was like, do I go? Because if I go, then the following day from this surprise birthday party is our anniversary. And then the day after that, I was supposed to drive to Nashville from the beach. So do I just stay here? And then after we have a good anniversary, go to the meeting I'm supposed to go to and make my sisters mad and everybody and then mama asking me why weren't you here when everybody else was. And then I went back and forth on that. Do I go? Or if I go, then I've got to go up there. Then I've got to either drive right straight back or spend the night in Richmond and then drive back and then go to Nashville after one day with my beautiful wife. And all I got to tell you is I was raised in a family whose family motto was whatever. And I'll just admit, that does not help you be a decisive person. So I, instead of making a decision, just saying, this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to live with it, I just thought about making one decision. Then I thought about making another decision. Then I thought about going back to the first one. Then after a while, I couldn't tell which one was the first one. But by the time I finally decided to go up the road, 
I, I decided I would go. And like I said, I didn't decide when they called me. It took me all week to finally just say, I'll go. So, of course, I went in a very happy mood up the road that morning. But I decided on the way I needed to stop and go to church because I didn't want to miss I just, just something like, like uh, Mark said. You just make the commitment and that's just something you're doing. It's just like, you know, you're going to breathe when you, when you live on the earth. I'm going to go to church while I'm on the earth kind of thing. So I found this church. It's a little Methodist church in some little town in North Carolina. Uh, and the door was on the corner uh, of the building. And it had one of those big, I say about six foot narthex. You know, you come through the one door, you close it, you got your chance to make one bold step, and then you could open the other door and go into the sanctuary. But I decided since the service had already started, I would come no further. I would just listen. So I stood out there in the foyer and preacher started. And the first five or six things the preacher said was, I think Jesus meant to say this. And then I think it meant this. And then I think it meant that. And I'm like, just read it again. And you don't have to do all of that. But everything was a I think. And I think James warns against that when he begins. If you want to act with accountability, it's never going to be about what you think. It's never going to be about you. How many of y'all know, not only can we say the wrong thing, we can hear the wrong thing. <laughs> I mean, sometimes people don't really mean things personally. I know it spoken to you personally, but some people speak because they're rooted to things in their spirit that's still rooted in their own frailty, in their own sense of betrayal, in their own sense of bias, in their own sense of blame, in their own sense of bitterness. It's and if you tried to tell them they ought to say something better, they wouldn't even know what you were talking about. But again, he warns us. He says, if we act with accountability, you just have to admit. You have to admit some things. And number one is, he says it in verse two, we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone's never at fault in what he says, well, you have found the perfect man. But it's interesting, he said, not, not so fast. Not only can they watch what they say, he says, but they're able to keep their whole body in check. In other words, there is no such person. <laughs> That's what we admit. We're, we're not the perfect one that we want to point people to. His name is Jesus. And so he, he begins then to lay out, he says, and I, I started to write a song for today and, and never got past the first three lines and then I added one more thing. He says, don't be in a hurry 
to share what's on your mind because only what's eternal will stand the test of time. Focus then on mercy and keep your mouth in line. And if you need to teach then, I'm sure you will be fine. But he says, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, then we can turn the whole animal. So we have to admit we, we need some help. We have to admit we can say things uh, that are not only good and wholesome and helpful, we can say things that are wrong. We can say things that are hurtful. We can say things that are sinful. He says the worst case scenario for all of us, even though the tongue might be a small part of the body, it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. So as I told people, I try to tell people that there's no such thing as sort of three kingdoms. There's not God's kingdom, the devil's, whatever the devil's doing, and you. You're not a third wheel. Because if you make yourself a third wheel, you'll already put yourself in the kingdom with God. And God says, sometimes you're just a third wheel. <laughs> so just decide which, which kingdom you're going to operate under. He said, worst case scenario, what you can do is be set on fire by hell. That's worst case scenario. The normal circumstance is that we just talk out of both sides of our mouth. We'll bless God, but we'll curse people. And even though they've been made in the likeness of God. He says, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this just shouldn't be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So just, just admit, if things are not working in our life, then it's not enough just to say they're not working. God says, I want you to learn how to live. I want you to be accountable. I want you to act with accountability. So in order to do that, he says, we need to assess some things. So who is wise and understanding among you? He says the one who does the deeds they do in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Don't act like your ambition and your envy is the truth either. We had an incident yesterday. This is the only way I know how to describe it. And Lord, thank you in <clears throat> one way, and everything give thanks, that I can illustrate it like this. If you wake up one day or if you are here today and your attitude stinks, do not try to spray God over it.
We had somebody yesterday, and I don't know who, and I'm glad I don't. But they had an amazing amount of influence in the men's room. They went in there and they did something so profound that it stopped up the toilet and its presence was felt all the way out to the corner of the hall. And I want to tell y'all, I was looking for Lysol and I couldn't find any. And that little sweet smelling stuff we got to spray over stuff in our bathrooms was not a good solution. Neither is you denying the truth and saying, well, this is just the way I am. This is how God made me. This is my attitude today. Yes, it stinks, but I'm still such a nice person. I know you don't mind me stinking all over you. No amount of spray will help that. Where's your spiritual plunger when you need it? I listened to Derek Prince this week. I love him. I really do. Um, his YouTube videos are a gift. And he says, sometimes we make the mistake. And we conflict. This is why we make the assessment of what's going on in our hearts, or what God is doing, or what we're doing, or what the devil's doing. Um, he said, sometimes... We have to know the difference between the works of the flesh that need to be crucified in us and the works of the devil which need to be cast out of us. He said you can't cast out a work of the flesh but you can crucify it. But you can't crucify what a demon or a spirit might try to speak into your life or do or the atmosphere of a place or a time. Uh, you, you only have to cast it out or cast yourself out of that place so that you're not influenced by it. This is why it's so important when you create new habits to cre always create a new environment or at least try to. That way you don't have to fight. See what God is trying to get us to do by acting with accountability is that the farther we go in our relationship with Him, the less conflict we have with ourselves. It's easy to be conflicted or to know. I listen to the children's description of God and, and cute as it is, how does that compare to the God who is lives in unapproachable light who has made everything that has been made and without him there wouldn't be anything that was made. Like I said, if it's left just to us to offer our opinion on what things are or who God is, goodness how puny and small and quaint and Practically, honest truth, I mean, and I, I, I love our children. I love my children. They all, I've said it myself years ago when I was a child. But if God is only as we describe him, how pitiful are we? 
He's the king of the universe. He's the judge of all the earth. Judge of the living and the dead. He's the one sovereign above all. I can't even, I don't have words to describe how great, how awesome is he. And so we assess things and say, God, I know you're calling me to be holy, even as you are holy. I mean, when you talk about the wisdom that comes from heaven, what's the first thing it says in verse 17? The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, what is it? Somebody find their Bible. Pull it up on your phone even. You know, but no. Pure or holy. It's set apart. It's nothing else like it. Don't keep on trying to make the wisdom of heaven and the wisdom of earth match. They don't. He says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. It's stuff that's just unearthly. It's unspiritual. It's of the devil. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive. It's word in another translation says it's teachable, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Because not only does God, if we're to live a life of accountability, we not only admit some things, and, and what we're admitting is just the fact that God is God and we're not. That the thing that marks our life is that we all stumble. But thank you, Lord, you raise us up. And so we assess where we are. And he says, if you harbor or you hold on to or you give a place of safety or a place of refuge for your selfishness or for your envy, don't, at least don't boast about it. And don't act like, oh, this is just the way it is. That's not truth. It's not reality. It's just you. High time to repent. High time to get us realigned with the Lord's righteousness. Because he says, we also have to address some things. He says, I've got a, I've got a job for you. I want you to be a peacemaker. I want you to be those who are called the sons of God. I want you to be those who sow righteousness. Hosea says, I want you to sow righteousness. I want you to break up your fallow ground. I want you to do this and do this until God showers you with his righteousness. We want to work this. I think this whole term for peacemaker has gotten, <coughs> excuse me, sort of kidnapped by the world. It's now sort of this negotiated way we, we live together. It's not the evangelistic opportunity of calling people into a right relationship with God through Jesus as the way this is described. If you're sowing in peace, how do you get peace? The only way you can get peace is to be justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And we're given access to the grace that God wants us to live through, live by. So he says, this is, this is what we need to address. We need to come to that place where everything we do is a sowing of that connection, sowing of that relationship 
that we have between us and God through Jesus Christ. A sowing of righteousness till all might know. Look, I know we mess up. I know we say things that are hard and wrong and I know sometimes we harbor things that we ought to cast out. Things we let live that we ought to crucify. But thank you, God. You're giving us a promise here that we can sow what we already have in Jesus and raise, it says, a harvest of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, this is what we pray for. When we pray for our children, we pray that we are raising up a harvest of righteousness, of peace, of joy. That the strength of their life is found in you. And Father, we just thank you again that we can admit all we need to admit. We can assess what's going on in us by your Holy Spirit and by your word and that we can address them directly, purely so that we can recognize what do we address? Well, you already said it over there in chapter one. If anyone considers himself to be religious and yet doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. But religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Yes, Lord, you, you give us this opportunity to sow in peace and to raise a harvest of righteousness. Anything else that's stopping that or hindering that or drying that out or cutting that off, Lord, well, we now know where we need to start with ourselves. And we thank you if we can through that wonderful, matchless Savior, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.